be seated. All right, well, if you have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to open up to John chapter 20. Turn on a Bible, but get to John chapter 20, and uh, it's an exciting day. We get to have a baptism today. Helps me to chill out in my attire, so I like to wear my tennis shoes and stuff. So I'm excited about today having a baptism and everything. Um, but we are finishing up here in the next few weeks our study of the book of John. And we have been in John for some time. And um, we are now in John chapter 20. And last week we looked at the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, that Peter and John and Mary had gone to the tomb and it was empty. And um, freaking out. And uh, Jesus rose from the grave. He is, as I said last week, what is he? Alive. alive. I'm glad one person was here last week. All right? Jesus is alive. Amen. Amen. Holy cow. I thought I was tired this morning. You all must be really sluggish. My wife has been gone all week. That's the reason why I'm tired. I hadn't sleep well this week. You all should be on this, okay? So I'm going to back up. Set the ramp back up. Jesus is alive. Amen. Okay? And that's what makes Jesus distinct from any other religious leader. Understand this. All right? No other religion makes the claim that, hey, our leader is going to die and resurrect. Jesus made the claim and then fulfilled it. He, he claimed, I will die and I will rise from the grave. And he did. That's what makes Jesus different. Is He died and is now alive. Amen. Well, today, last week, we looked at what the resurrection did. Today, I want to look at what the risen Savior does. And, and it's not just what he did for these people. It's what he still does for us. And today, I want to look at four things that what the risen Savior does from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. And here's the first thing that the risen Savior does is he calms us. He calms us. So if you look at now, starting at verse 19, it says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, which is Sunday, the doors being locked where the disciples were, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Okay, so now let's set this up. Peter and John, remember that morning, Easter morning, what we consider Sunday morning, Mary had gone to the tomb, Peter and John had gone to the tomb empty. And if you remember what I said, when they finally saw the, the grave clothes, it says that Peter and John believed, meaning they believed what the Old Testament scripture said and what Jesus repeatedly said. I'm going to die. I'm going to come back alive. I'm going to die. I'm going to come back alive. And they saw that he was gone. Well, now they're back at their little Airbnb, but the doors are locked and they're fearful for the Jews, meaning the religious leaders, because in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, all four Gospels, they, they each give a different account of what happened. And, and there were guards guarding the tomb. And when the angel rolled the, the stone away, the, the guards, basically they passed out. And when they came to, they went and told the religious leaders, the body's gone. So the, these guys are now probably thinking, they're coming after us because they're going to think we stole the body. 
And so they, in fear, have locked the door, bolted the door, put the, the guard on the door. We're not, no one's coming in this place. Nobody is breaking the door down. But look what it says. The doors were locked. They were fearful of the Jews, but Jesus came and stood among them. Jesus didn't knock on the door. He didn't ring the doorbell. He wasn't like, yo, guys, open it up. No, he, in his resurrection body, was able to somehow just appear. That's a miracle in itself. And he appears right in the middle of them. I got to sit and wonder, okay, let's just put yourself in that, that you, you know, you're... I don't think it's a great big house they were in, probably a one-room kind of place. And, and, and you're scared. You know the doors are locked. You got the candles lit because now it's evening. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. I'm just wondering, was there at least one that went, Ah! <laughs> holy cow! Or holy Jesus! You can't tell me somebody didn't freak. Because they weren't expecting, they had their own little crew. They weren't expecting anybody else, and there's Jesus in their midst. And look what he says to them. He stands among them and he says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. In verse 20 says, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw Jesus, and Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. You see, these guys, um, let me ask you, when they were in fear, troubled heart, yes or no? Worry, yes or no? Anxious, yes or no? Probably to a tenth degree, man. These guys were freaking out. They were full of fear, full of worry, full of anxiety. They were stressed. Okay, because they were just waiting for, open the door. They were waiting for it. But Jesus shows up. He doesn't rebuke them, doesn't yell at them, doesn't scold them. What does he say? Peace be with you. Twice. Because Jesus understood the heart. He understood where these guys were. He understood the fear. He understood peace be with you. Now, that word peace, that's the key, okay? Notice he doesn't say peace to you. He says peace be with you. That word peace. Now, a lot of times when you, in, in, in ancient times, when Jewish people would greet one another, they would say shalom, and it was a greeting of peace, all right? This could be a, a, a greet, but it was more than that. Because that word peace actually comes from a Greek word, which means tranquility. It's the idea of quietness, stillness, calmness. That's what Jesus was drilling on right here. He's like, you guys are full of fear, anxiety, you're stressed, peace. Like a calmness to be with you. You see, this is the same kind of peace that Jesus said in Mark chapter 4 when the disciples and Jesus were crossing the Sea of Galilee and a storm came up and it says that the waves were crashing so hard the boat was about to sink. The disciples were freaking out. They were fearful. 
They were worried they were going down. Jesus was sleeping and they woke Jesus up and they said, we're going to die. You got to do something. And it says that Jesus stood up and it said, peace, be still. And the calm came across the storm. Peace, be still. That's what Jesus is saying here to these guys. Peace, guys. I want your hearts to be still. It's the same peace that Jesus talks about in John chapter 16 when he's talking about, guys, just bank on it. In this world, you're going to have trouble. Anybody have trouble in this world? All the time, right? And does that trouble cause you to have a troubled heart? Does it cause you to have a little bit of fear? Does it cause you to be stressed? Does it cause you to have a little bit of worry and anxiousness? Absolutely. But in, that, in John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, you're going to have trouble. But in me, you, you can have peace. You can have a calmness. It, it's the same peace that, uh, Peter, or that, that Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4 when he says, listen, I want you to be anxious for nothing. But in everything, pray and seek the Lord and a peace will come upon you. This week, as I think it was Thursday or Friday morning, I, like I said last week, I was waking up at 3.30 probably every day while Paula was gone. And so this one morning again, probably about 4 a.m., I got my cup of, cup of joe and sat down with my Bible, and I opened up the First Peter, and I was just going to start reading through First Peter. And in the first two verses, Peter is addressing the Christians that have been scattered, meaning that they're under persecution. Because back in the early Bible times, you got to remember, Christians like us, people weren't just like, oh, sure. I mean, people don't like us today as Christians, but they were persecuted. They were being put in jail. They were being put to death, all kinds of things. And Peter is writing to these Christians. And in verse 2, he says, may, may grace and peace be with you in abundance. And I read that, and I've read those little words numerous times, but for some reason it was like they elevated off the page. And then I went, I want to see something. And I went from Romans to the book of Revelation. There's 22 books. 19 out of 22 books within the first two verses say the exact same thing. May the grace, of, may the grace and peace of our Father God and our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Peace. And it hammers us peace over and over and over again. The reality is that God wants you to have peace. And it talks about it a lot. The Bible tells us numerous times, Jesus tells the disciples a few different times, don't let your heart be troubled. He warns them, you're going to have trouble. Don't let your heart be troubled. The Bible repeatedly tells us to fear not. The Bible makes it very clear. Jesus says, why do you worry about your life? Quit worrying. Paul, as I just said, again in Philippians 4, in Philippians 4 he says, don't be anxious for nothing. I mean, those are some big declarations. Anybody agree with me on that? Well, maybe Paul was special. Maybe he had it all figured out. Well, Jesus obviously was special, so he never had a troubled heart. But they don't know me. Yes, they do. And what Paul said, what Jesus says, what Peter says, 
applies to you and me. Peter and Paul were nothing special. They were just out, they were ordinary dudes just like everybody else. But they figured something out. I don't have to have worry and fear in my heart. You see, the peace that God truly wants to give us, understand, doesn't come because I have peace around me. A, a, a trouble-free heart doesn't come from trouble-free circumstances. The world can be lit up on fire all around me, but if I understand, I can still have peace in the storm. I can have a calmness in my heart and my mind. Because isn't that where worry and anxiety and fear, I mean, isn't that where they live? In your heart and your mind? Okay? Well, here's the problem. I think a lot of us, if we're honest, do we just resolve, that's where I live. I live in the camp of worry. I live in the camp of anxiety. How many of you ever say this? Well, that's just who I am. I'm a worry wart. We just, we just have just come to the fact you just got to live with worry. You just got to live with, with the fear. You just got to live in this. No, you don't. Peace and fear. Peace and worry. Peace and anxiety. Peace or a troubled heart. Two camps. It truly is a decision. But the reality is... and. And I sat and wondered, do you wonder why the Bible talks about peace so much? Why does it talk about not being worried? Why does it talk about so many times fearing not? Why does it talk about so many times of of not being anxious? Why does it keep telling us, Jesus keeps telling us, don't have a troubled heart. Peace, I'm going to give you. But it keeps repeating all this stuff about peace. And it's not the first time I've preached this message. Anybody heard this message on peace before? A lot through the book of John. So why does God keep talking about it? Why does he keep telling us? Because the reality is, has anybody mastered fear? Have you mastered worry? Have you mastered anxiety? Nobody has. Okay? We all live in it. I mean, it, all it takes is you get, you get the message or, or, or the, the gossip goes, starts going through the job. Layoffs are coming. That's all you got to hear. Layoffs are coming. Let me ask you, how fast does uh, anxiety creep in? Because where are you at now? You're in the camp of layoffs are coming. And all you can think about, layoffs are coming, layoffs are coming, layoffs are coming. And so what happens? The more you think about how layoffs are coming, what's, what's creeping up in your heart? Fear, worry, anxiety. Because what I set my mind on, that's what I'm going to have in my heart. So if I'm constantly setting my mind on what's worrying me, it's a health crisis. It, it's my kids no longer living for the Lord. It, it's, it's my finances. It's whatever it is. And I'm setting my mind on that thing. That's when worry, anxiety, troubled heart, grows in me it doesn't you and i don't have to be mastered by a troubled heart you don't have to be mastered by worry and fear and anxiety jesus is telling us here 
peace be with you. We can have that peace, that quietness. Does anybody other than me, you know, you, you, does, do you get tired of being restless inside? Do you get tired of that your brain never shuts off? You wake up in the night, and what's the, and this is, the, and you got to remember, this is how good the enemy is. You wake up in the night, you, you, you ha, you'll have a little bit of trouble falling asleep because your mind's thinking about the issue. Finally, you fall asleep, and in that sleep time, you're having a great dream. You're just in, you're in la-la land, man. It, it's just awesome until you wake up to go to the bathroom or something. And the moment your eyes open, where's your mind gone? Bam! Right back to the worry. You can't shut it off. And the enemy just keeps telling us. Jesus is telling us you don't have to be restless inside. Your mind and your heart can be at rest. It can be quiet. It can be still. It can be calm even when everything around you is not. But the question is, is how do we get that calmness? It's great that the Bible tells me that. How do I get it? Well, you're going to have to wait till point number three for the application. All right? But understand, this is what Jesus does. The risen Savior, he does calm us. But here's the second thing he does. The risen Savior, he commissions us. He calms us and he commissions us. Now look at verse 21. And Jesus said, then begin, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. This is what Matthew calls the great commission. Jesus is like, hey, when I was in heaven, the Father said, I am going to send you to go seek and save the lost. Do you know that Jesus did not come to bring a social reform? He didn't. Jesus did not come to um, bring healing all the time to our bodies. Jesus did not come to make us healthy and wealthy and rich and prosperous. He came to do none of that. He came for only one reason, to seek and save lost people. He came to bring salvation to humanity. He came to die on a cross for your sin and my sin. That is why Jesus came to this earth. And now he's like, just as the Father has sent me and, and gave me a job to do, now I am sending you as my believers to do a job. He's commissioning them. And that is the Great Commission. And the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and make disciples. Go and make new believers. Go and, 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 and talk to people who don't know me and believe in me and share what I have done with to them and that they will put their faith in me. Make new believers. And then take those new believers and baptize them. And then take those new believers as they've been baptized and then begin to teach them what I have taught them. You see, that's what it is. It's to make, baptize, and to teach. Baptism and teaching or obeying, because Jesus says teach them to, to obey, so baptism and obedience are actually the fruit of salvation. A lot of people just like the idea, hey, I'm saved, and just live how we want. 
But if I'm saved, the first thing I do is I get baptized. And that's what we're celebrating today. Lily, she's in children's ministry, right? Little Lily, man, she's, I don't even think you're going to be able to see her out, out from the getting baptized. Little girl saying, hey, I've trusted Jesus. I believe in Jesus. And then after she's baptized, the goal is that she's going to continue to learn and be taught in children's ministry. And then as she grows up, she will be taught and learn as a young adult and adult, and she will grow to be a believer in Jesus Christ. You see, that's what it is. So today, listen, if you've never been baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to do that today. Be obedient to that. Well, Jim, I, I, I didn't bring my clothes. We got clothes. We've got shirts, shorts, towels. You're set and good to go. So if you've never been baptized, one of our elders is going to be standing back there. Talk to them. Tell them your, your testimony when you came to know Christ. Get baptized. But also, he commissions us to obey him. Do what he says. Now, I say this all the time. We're not going to be perfect. But boy, there's a difference between knowing what the Bible says and going, yeah, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm a grown man. Don't you tell me what to do. I'm a grown woman. I get to do what I want. It's not obedience. Obedience is, man, I see what the Bible says. I'm going to, I'm going to do it the best I can. And so he commissions us. Now, I want to, before I share a little bit about the church and the mission, we got to look at the next two verses because these are some tough verses, but they go in line with Jesus commissioning believers. Look at verse 22. He says, and when he said this, meaning as, I, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. He says, when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a tough verse because I'm telling you, I read multiple commentaries and I don't think even two of them agreed of what Jesus means here. Because at this point, you got to remember, throughout the book of John, Jesus has been saying, especially in the last few chapters, he's like, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to be your helper, and all of this stuff. And we know in the book of Acts, that's when the Holy Spirit comes down to the earth. So what is Jesus saying here? Well, honestly, it's kind of hard to really say for sure. So can I give you my best guess? Now, here's the thing. I'm going to give you my best guess. And if you don't agree with me, that's okay. And if you think you've got another view of what Jesus is saying here, talk to me. I'd love to hear your view. But hopefully if you disagree with me, we can agree to disagree. Is that okay? Here's my best guess of what I believe what Jesus is saying here when he says that he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. I believe this because he's talking to the disciples now. All right? The 11 disciples, Judas is gone. I believe this is their born again moment. Because they have a faith in Jesus, but it's an outward faith. They believed in who Jesus was because of the miracles. They believed in Jesus because they saw the resurrection close, that Jesus wasn't there. They believe in Jesus, but they're still not born again. They're, still, they're, they're alive physically, but dead spiritually. And here's why I say that. Because it says that he breathed on them. If you go back to Genesis chapter 2, when God created Adam, it says that he, after he created Adam, there was no life in Adam. It says that God breathed into his nostrils, and he breathed life into him. 
I believe when Jesus breathed on them, that was like he transferred living life to them spiritually. That the Spirit, Holy Spirit, came on them and in them, and that was their born-again spiritual moment. Why only to them? Because Jesus just told them, you've got a job to do. And in order to do this job, you've got to have the Spirit of God living in you. So I believe this is their coming to spiritual life moment. Their born again moment. If you disagree with me, that's okay. But that's my best shot. I hope it makes sense. All right? Look at the next verse. Verse 23, another tough verse. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now that verse has been used, um, especially by, by, by the Catholics, to say that the Pope, bishops, cardinals, and priests have the authority to absolve people's sins. That they have the authority to say to someone, you are forgiven or you are not forgiven. That is not what Jesus is saying here. There is a difference between absolution and proclamation. Let me read a verse to you from the book of Acts. It's going to be coming up on the screen. The book of Acts. Peter writes this. He says, as he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The proclamation is what... G and so what Peter just said there connects to what Jesus just said. It is not... Jesus didn't say, oh, by the way, guys, you have the authority to tell people, yep, you're forgiven or you're not forgiven. It's the proclamation they will make. It is saying that if you come to the place where you believe in Christ as your Savior, I can tell you, you are forgiven because it's through Christ. But if you come to the place where you're like, nope, I don't want to believe in Jesus Christ. I, I, I want to reject him. I don't care about that. Then I can tell you, you're not forgiven because your sins are still with you. It's, the Bible makes it very clear and declares to us that it is through faith that we are saved. Through faith alone in Christ. And that when we come to the place where we put our faith in Christ, he died on a cross, I'm a sinner, I need a savior, he comes into my life and saves me. I can 100% declare when you know Christ as your savior by faith, all of your sins are forgiven. And I can declare to you with confidence that if you reject that, I don't care about the Bible. I don't care about Jesus. I don't care about any of this. It's my life. I'm going to live how I want. I don't care. I can tell you with confidence your sins are not forgiven and you will die as Jesus has declared. If you die as a sinner, you die in your sins, unforgiven. That's what Jesus is saying here. And both of these connect to the commission. Because part of the commission is you and me telling people and, and proclaiming the gospel to people and asking people, do you know Christ is your Savior? It's going and, 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 and talking to people and proclaiming to people. And if I talk 
to someone, I say, hey, do you know Christ as your Savior? And they say no. And I ask them, would you want to accept Christ? And they say, yes, I want to I I know him as my Savior. Then you can tell that person, your sins are forgiven. But if you declare the gospel to someone and they look at you and go, forget that, Jack. I don't care about that. You, it's just not the pastor. You can declare to someone, your sins aren't forgiven then. You see, it's about the commission. And Jesus, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, not a member of this church, a member of the body of Christ. If you, if I were to go through every single person in here and just ask you one simple question, are you a Christian? You're going to give me one or two answers. Yes or no. And if you say, yes, I am, it's not about being a member of this church. It's the fact that you are a member of the body of Christ. And guess what? You're commissioned. I don't go to church anywhere, Jim. Well, if you're a believer, you're commissioned. So as a commissioned believer in Christ, then you are to go forth and go tell people and make disciples, make new believers, and then help them get baptized and help them to learn and grow. You're commissioned. As far as this church, here's our mission. And memorize this thing because hopefully someday someone would ask you, hey, what's the mission of Harvest Woodhall? Here it is. And if you're not sure, you can just flip your bulletin over because it's on the back. Here's the mission of Harvest Bible Chapel Woodhall. We want to help people come to know Christ and grow in Christ. That's simple, isn't it? We want to help people to come to know Christ. That's going and making disciples to help people come to know Christ because not everybody is born from the, the womb going, I'm a believer in Jesus. It's not happening. You are born as an unbeliever. And you go through, go through childhood. You go through as a teenager. You go through as a young adult. You, however long it takes, you live as an unbeliever. And then there's a point in your life where you hear the gospel. You hear you're a sinner. And you are separated from God forever. But Jesus died for your sin. If you'll accept him and him alone, all your sins will be forgiven. And there's a point in your life, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you said yes to that. And you came to know Christ as your Savior. That's what we want to help people know. That's why I proclaim and preach like this. To help people come to know who Christ is. But we don't just stop there. We want to help people come to know Christ and grow in Christ. That's where Jesus says, go, make new disciples, help people come to know me, but then baptize them. And then teach them to obey me. That's the growing part, okay? And so what we want to do is here at Harvest, we want to say, we want to help people come to know Christ and grow in Christ. People who will become followers of Christ, believers in Christ, who will worship, walk, work, and witness. Man, we will worship Christ. Man, I'm showing up on Sunday morning. I'm worshiping God. I'm, gonna, I'm worshiping my Savior. And then we're going to work for Christ. I'm going to serve. I'm going I'm to do things in ministry. And then I, I, I'm going to walk with Christ. I'm going to connect with other believers. I'm going to grow in the Word. I'm going to encourage people, and I want them to encourage me. And then I'm going to witness. And the process starts over. I'm going to help people come to know Christ so they can come to know Christ and grow in Christ. And then as they come to grow in Christ, then they will help people come to know Christ. It's just a cycle. 
he commissions us. So my question to you is, are you fulfilling the commission? As a believer in Jesus Christ, as I said, if I asked you are, you, are you a Christian? Yes, I am, Jim. Then how are you fulfilling the commission? Are you worshiping? Are you walking? Are you working? Are you witnessing? If you're not, then why not? You've got to get engaged in the commission because Jesus has commissioned us. Here's the third thing. He challenges us. He challenges us. So now, look at verse 24. It says, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And so the others told, other disciples told him, hey, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the mark of his nails, and I place my finger in the mark in the nails, and I place my hand in his side, I love that. I will never believe. He's just like, I, I'm going to struggle for a while. He's like, I will never believe you. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, you got to love that man. They were freaking out still. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. I just love that. Jesus is like, guys, you're not there yet. Peace be with you. Do you ever feel you're, like you're the disciple? I'm just not there yet, man. And Jesus still says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hand and place it in my side. And here it is. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord, my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? And here it is, guys. This is for you and me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Do you want to know? Here's the application. Do you want to know how you get over um, worry and, and, and anxiety and a troubled heart? Right here. You believe. You keep trusting who God is. You keep trusting who Jesus is. Jesus says, blessed are those who have never seen me, yet believe. Peter even says that in chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. He's, he's writing to the church and he says, you have never seen him, yet you love him. And you don't see him now, and yet you believe. You see, that's what faith is. Listen, you and I, the, these guys saw Jesus. They saw the miracles. They got to see the, the, the empty tomb. They saw the grave clothes. The, you know, Peter, they got to see the hands and, and the sight. And he's like, you know, Thomas, you believe because you've seen, which is okay. But he's like, man, there are going to be people after you who have never seen anything, not one thing, and they will believe in me. Blessed are them. That is you today. If you know Jesus through faith as your Savior, and every day you walk by faith, every day you believe in him, you are blessed. Because anybody seen the grave clothes? Did you ever see the tomb? Has Jesus ever appeared in your room and said, hey, here's my hand? No, none of us have. But yet there's something in our heart that says, I believe. I believe him. So guess what? When I'm going through that storm in my life, when the trial is just burning red hot, I believe. And that's what settles my heart. That's how I have the peace. Listen, do everything you can in the situation. 
Do everything you can in your finances. Do everything you can for your health. Do everything you can in a relationship. Do everything you can. But let me ask you, do you ever come to a place where you don't know what to do anymore? You don't know what to say to a person anymore. You don't know how to change the financial situation anymore. You, the doctors have told you there is no cure. You have no idea. Again, in that moment, you and I have a choice, don't we? Do I believe and have rest or do I worry? And do I just, that's where I'm going to camp. And if I want to just sit there and think about the impossible, the, well, what if? I'm just going to sit there and think about the pain, the struggle, the hurt. That's where I'm going to sit. Then you will always be filled with anxiety and worry. Your heart will always be troubled. But here's what you and I got to do. Here's where the believing comes in. Paul tells us, and again, in Philippians chapter 4, be anxious for nothing. Nothing. Well, Jim, Paul didn't really have this problem. Nothing. Nothing. And here's how you not be anxious for nothing. But in everything, you pray. You see, prayer is what Peter talks about in, in, in um, 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, cast your anxieties onto the Lord. Think of a fisherman who goes out to a lake. Does a fisherman... Nothing. Time to go home. I cast it once. I didn't catch anything. I'm going home. No. A good fisherman is like... Crap, this area stinks. He will sit out there for 15 hours because he believes. And he will keep casting. And he will keep casting. And if it doesn't work on that day, guess where he is the next day? He's casting again. He keeps casting. Prayer is casting. You don't just pray once. Oh, God, here it is. Nothing happens. Nothing's changed in you. Well, prayer doesn't work. I'm not going to, you know. You keep casting. Cast your worry. Cast your anxiety. Cast your troubled heart. You cast the problem over and over. And here's the problem. Most of us think, well, prayer is to change the problem. Prayer is for God to answer the situation. If I'm, if I'm sick, I'm going to pray so God will make me healthy. If I need money, I'm going to pray so God will provide. If I, if I need this, my, 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 my loved one to come back to Christ, I'm going to pray because God will do that. That's what we think prayer is all about. We can pray for health all the time. But what happens if it doesn't come? Could it be maybe because God is sovereign and has a different plan? So the prayer isn't necessarily all the time to change the problem, but to change the person. It is to get my faith, get my eyes off the problem, and get my faith on the Lord. And so if I have to cast my worry onto the Lord 15 times in 15 minutes... 
Because how many of you know how easy is it to have the, 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 the turmoil inside? I need, I need it. I need it. I was going to thinking about this. I need one of you two who wants to volunteer. She's looking at me like, oh, don't even point at me. I think this is an illustration for faith and worry. All right, step up there for a second. You got my permission. Step up on that chair, man. Just get on it, okay? Now, here's what I want you to do. Lift me up. Lift me up, man. Come on. Grab me up by the arms, wherever you want, wherever you want. But I want you to pull me and lift me up on that chair. Come on. Stronger. You got you to move, man. Come on. You're, you're, you're a young scrapping fellow. You should be able to lift me up. Can't do it? Okay, step down. Now pull me down. Which was easier, up or down? Down. down. All right, thanks, buddy. <laughs> when we're in the, the problem, the storm, the pain, whatever it is, it is easier to bring, to be brought down to worry anxiety, troubled heart, and fear. It is so much easier to be pulled down into that. And, it, and that's where we sit. Because that's easy. It is so much harder to keep casting and to lift our eyes up and to say, Jesus, I believe. I believe you. And when I don't see things changing, I believe you. And every time you start to feel that weight, that, that anxiousness and the, 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 the gravity of that worry, when you start to feel it, cast it. Lift it up to the Lord. And if I'm telling you, you're in your car and you start, how many of you, your mind just wanders in the car? If you start to worry in the car, cast it. You wake up in the night, Cast it. You're in the bathtub. Cast it. You're walking down the aisle of this grocery store. Cast it. Maybe not real loud because people think you're weird. But cast it. Keep lifting it up. Keep believing. The situation may not change. Your health may not get better. But you can have a calmness. Your finances may change but you can have a calmness your brother your sister your mom your dad your son whatever it is you may not come to, to Christ when you think but you can have a calmness and that calmness comes when I believe I keep believing and I keep casting and then here's the last thing Jesus does for us he connects us he connects us. Look at verse 30. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. John's just like, man, there's other things. How many of you know it's okay that, that he didn't write them down? All right? God makes the decision. John, I don't want you to write these things down. He didn't write them down, but he did other things. But these, what, what you do have in this book, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. He is the Son of God. And that by believing, you have life in his name. He connects us. I mean, here's what I mean. He connects you to eternity. He connects you to eternal life. 
Today, if you have never accepted Christ as your Savior, you're not connected yet. You don't have eternal life. You don't have the forgiveness of sins. Your sins are still with you. But you've got to come to know Christ as your Savior. And if you do, you come to say, Jesus, I'm a, I'm a sinner, and I'm forever separated from you. If I don't know you, come into my life and be my Savior. In that moment, he connects you to life. He connects you to eternal life. It's like plugging a lamp into the, into the outlet. You're plugged into power. Jesus connects us. And so today, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, today is your day to say, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Savior. And here's what we're going to do. I'm gonna, we're going to have this baptism. Are kids not over here yet? Go tell Adam I'm done preaching. He said he was going to be done early, have the kids over here. So now I got filler. I got to put filler in because that's not in my notes. So, um, but listen, we're going to have this baptism. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, turn to someone you, you know beside you and say, um, can you help me? Um, I, I don't know Christ. Can you help me come to know him? And if you place your faith in Christ today, get baptized today. We've got clothes out there. If you are a believer here today and you have never been baptized as a believer in Christ, get baptized today. There's clothes out there. Just tell what... Um, are they coming? Because that really, that really messed me up right now because I'm like, I'm supposed to be pointing to Adam, but Adam is not there. And so when Adam, our, one of our elders... If you are a believer in Christ have never been baptized, go talk to him. Tell him your testimony. Tell him when you came to know Christ as your Savior. And then go to the bathroom, get changed, let's get you baptized. Okay? It may take us a few more minutes, but I would rather take a few more minutes and get people being obedient to the Word of God. Get baptized today. And so, here they come. Can I get a couple guys up here? Let's move this off to the side, if 